Hey, everybody, it's a new week. It's a new me. It's at least a new liver. What, we have a new liver every six days? Six days, seven days? It's at least a new, it's a new liver from last Monday. Um, but we're going to settle in for a full uninterrupted week of shows now. And uh, no holidays for the time being. Tonight we're going to be able to enjoy each other's company and just do a lot of things that the thoughts and stories that popped up over the course of the weekend. Um, we have a little bit of stuff for the grab bag that I want to do this little... I want to ask you guys about incompetence in the workplace because uh, the Black Rocks, Larry Fink, he had a lot of things to say about how to force people's behavior, how to modify. It's all, everything's behavior modification. We talk about it a lot. Well, there's no more reading between the lines. They're all just talking about it. And he's talking about how BlackRock and ESG, and you can use these economic, um, you can twist these economic screws, put the screws to people, to corporations, to everybody, to make sure that corporate culture drips down to the culture of the people who work there. And then, of course, um, you're modifying behaviors of everyday people that go out into the world and and they now have assimilated to whatever their new parents at corporate headquarters, which is really BlackRock, which is really all the central banks of the world and the think tanks and the NGOs and the WEF crew. That's their new parents. That's everybody's new parents who are being retaught how to, how to speak, how to hire. Depending on how you were born, you have to be able to check your privilege, your imaginary privilege or you have to look at yourself as something bigger than you really not. So that's just, um, that's the craziness here. But he talks about how, how you have to force behaviors in companies regarding diversity and inclusion. And I wanted to ask you, because I'm gonna pair that up with another article I saw about what happens when the competent opt out of the workplace, when they see that things, um, that the culture is, in, is really, is shifting toward these um, these trends and all these edicts, these uh, new behavior, the modified behaviors that are, that are coming down from front offices of the biggest corporations in the world. What happens when competent people just leave and they just say, "I'm out." I, I mean, yeah, it's gonna suck not making this kind of money, but I, I got to go do my own thing or. I'll take less just to have peace of mind. So I want to I want to link those two together and ask you guys and gals about times where you have seen, and if you're seeing it right now, incompetence in the workplace, and that is just because of a culture that is being nurtured, a culture of incompetence that's being nurtured because we're checking boxes instead of getting the right people for the job. There's that. There's also a little UFO news that I'm going to save bigger questions that have uh, popped up for me in this for nights that we have either Timothy Alberino on because he'll be coming back next week or a few other people. We're going on a booking spree right now. So I'm sure that we're going to have some other people to talk, UFOs, occult symbolism with, all that stuff, and and uh, 
and mix it up a bit. Jason Burmers will be coming back at the end of the month, too, so we haven't talked to him in a couple months. That'll be fun. Uh, what else do we have tonight? I have a couple other questions I'm going to throw out to you guys, and maybe you'll maybe you'll respond to some, because ultimately we want to hear from you. And we have another badass, the badass pick for June 5th. That will be tonight. I really hope you're not missing any of it. All right, do I have any other new bookings to tell you about? BCP is coming on tomorrow night. Surprise. BCP is coming on tomorrow night. It's a short show because we got I got band practice around 10 after 8. So I'll go live around 6.45 so that we don't lose too much time. But BCP will be on for the majority of it. That'll be fun to catch up with him. Audit NY. Audit NY is going to be in studio on Wednesday, the 7th. So we'll be talking about the national security state, the national security threat that is the state of New York. And that'll be really interesting. I'll, I'll be asking a lot of questions and and we'll see how long they're going to be in studio with us. It may not be the whole show, but it'll be a, it'll be a good time. Scary, of course. Then on June 8th, Leo Zagami is in with us. That's on Thursday night. That'll be a little bit of a shorter show as well. At 8.30, we have Book Club Session 2 for Shoeless Joe. That's going to... I can't wait. I can't wait. We're talking Moonlight Graham. Moonlight Graham. Chapter 3. They're long chapters. So, Chapter 3 is 50 pages. And uh, that is going to be on Thursday. Now, next week... I don't know just yet. We will see his availability, but I'm looking for a day for Mickey Willis to come back on. If you were on, quite frankly, TV last night for your Sunday nightcap, your Sunday fix, Frank's picks, we had uh, at the 10 o'clock feature, it was the Plandemic 3, The Great Awakening, which we'll talk about a little bit tonight, and I'll take some calls and your opinions of it. But all of my main thoughts and questions are in a, a separate file already so that when Mickey Willis comes on, we can talk to him about it. If you've watched any of his two appearances on the show, a lot of that stuff is, is very familiar to you, especially, especially his personal journey which I knew when we brought him on the first time, I couldn't wait to ask him. I think I was the first one to, to really ask him about that stuff years ago after Plandemic 1 came out because he was, he bust onto the scene for a lot for most people with Plandemic 1, but when I saw his face, I said, what? Because I had known him prior too. And I'd seen him, we, we worked with him at, at YouTube studios and, and I knew his, per, his uh, personal views, his personal politics and his social media presence in the years leading up to 2000, um, 2020. And I knew he was very progressive, very left. I didn't know that he was campaigning with Bernie Sanders, but, um, but I knew that when he came on that first time with us and you can still go see it, I think that it is pinned to the top of our SoundCloud, one of our highlights. Um, I, I knew that that was gonna be a wonderful transformation story and it was. I have more things to ask him about that um, because the, the, the Plandemic 3 one was really about the psychological programming through the guise of pandemic response and all this other stuff and where we are now. And I think it was great. I think it was really good. Really, really good. Uh, Timothy Alberino next week. John Doyle next week. 
George Norrie on the 29th. And more. More, more, more. All right. Um, so we'll take calls on that. You let me know what you thought about the pandemic. It was on last night. Tracy sent me some of the pictures because um, she works directly with Dell Bigtree now and was a VIP all weekend. Looked like a lovely time, but the movie was great. And that's what we have over there. In New York, though, in New York, I guess it's a lovely time wherever you can make it. Wherever you can make yourself a lovely time, you will have one. But the 30,000-foot view is a little bit a little bit weird. Mayor Adams floats the idea of New Yorkers housing migrants in private residences. Let's see a little of this. It is my vision uh, to take the next step to this, to go to the faith-based uh, locales, and then move to a private residence. Yeah, faith-based, that means all of the, 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 um, the churches with the lesbian deacons. Uh, there are residents who are suffering right now because of economic challenges. They have spare rooms, uh, they have locales, and if we can find a way to get over the 30-day rule and other rules that government has in, in its place, we can take that $4.2 billion, $4.3 it may be now, that we potentially would have to spend, and we can put it back in the pockets of everyday New Yorkers. Look, at I knew it. Well, what they should do, what he should do, he should start by making every member of that men's choir behind him take in the, the two families each. That's what he should do. It may, I, I, he and his entourage should, should be the first, the first people to have to take in two families each, one in the attic, one in the basement, and there you go. There's a scam in here, a $4.3 billion scam in here somewhere. It's going to be a lot of skimming. There's going to be a lot, a lot. People are going to give their Airbnbs, make extra money. They're going to be able to just name their price. They'll, they'll, write, a, they'll write a government check. It's going to be a, it's a disaster. It is a disaster. So that's what they're trying to do now. Any spare rooms at Gracie Mansion, asks the New York Post. Mayor Eric Adams, that's not right. Mayor Eric Adams wants now to start paying everyday New Yorkers to shelter migrants in their own homes as a Big Apple struggles to find beds for the thousands of asylum seekers still flooding into the city. He had $4.3 billion, he said, it made available to him. Put them on planes and send them back. No, no, we couldn't do that. We have to create bigger problems. We need secondary and tertiary problems. That's what we need. We're not going to do the most easy. We're not going to do the easiest thing to do. We're going to complain about how our city's being destroyed. We'll send them back. No, 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 no. We need to have people take them into their homes, which since this is a foreign army being turned into the uh, the domestic army of the of the uh, the rogue government that has taken over the former republic. This is like a violation of the Third Amendment, if you ask me. Let's see. Very, very, very seldom you ever hear anybody talk about the Third Amendment these days. That's what it, when you think about how the migrants have been weaponized as a standing army in their own right. You say, oh, there's a lot of women and children. Yeah, there's a couple sprinkled in there. But it's a different kind of army, and I'm sure it's their their use is going to evolve over time. It really is. We're getting into Third Amendment territory here. Seldom brought up. In his latest attempt to battle the ongoing migrant crisis, Adams, 
who does everything except the most commonsensical thing to do, floated a half-baked private residence plan where, uh, which could possibly see local homeowners getting compensation to put up asylum seekers who will never leave. It will be impossible to get them out of there. You know how impossible it is to get a renter out after they've been there for a couple of months? Squatters have more rights in New York State than, than, than babies. His honor put forward the, uh, oh, his honor put forward the proposal as he um, revealed religious leaders had agreed to start housing adult male migrants overnight at 50 places of worship scattered across the five boroughs next month. There are residents who are suffering right now because of the economic challenges. They have spare rooms. They have locale. They have locales. I'm going to use the word locale today. The mayor said, arguing his private residence proposal could put money back into the pockets of taxpayers. <laughs> back. Where did that money come from in the first place? It's all. This is so such bullshit. This is. You know what it's like. And even when you talk about it, we could. You know. We could put money back into the pockets of taxpayers this way. I feel like we're at a Dave and Buster's and we're just dealing with the tickets that are coming out. It's not, the, the money comes from nowhere. It's backed by nothing. It's created out of thin air. The only real thing that is tangible here is our labor and whatever jobs that we're doing. Now, we can be paid in other things that are tangible, like eggs, produce, whatever. And, and instead, we all have to share this currency. And, and and just to see how it's thrown around, it's made available. It's uh, you know, it's it's used as a carrot on a stick. We're gonna give you something back. We're gonna put it back in your pocket. Bullshit. It's just also it's nonsense. We're gonna give you some Dave and Buster tickets. Here you go. Here's 50 Dave and Buster tickets. You can cash it in for that plush bear over there. That's it. You want the little green alien? It, it's such a game. It's such a joke. What a joke. I can't wait until my my uh, soundboard over here is is finished, so I can start queuing up my media again. But we had some issues, a lot of issues going on technologically, but they'll be cleared up soon. My new video card should be in today, and then I have to uh, cross my fingers, not screw anything up when I attempt to install it myself. So we'll see if we have shows next week. You'll know that everything went well. If not, it's because I I bit off a little bit too much that I can chew over the course of this upcoming weekend. Oh, but there's some, there is some good news for New York. Maybe they'll actually be a little bit stabilized now because the mob is coming back. The mob is making a comeback in construction as demand for new housing grows in NYC. It's going to be a green mob, though. It's going to be a green version of La Cosa Nostra. Where they they're, they 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 are completely opposed to gas stoves and all that stuff. Amid a, uh, the a drumbeat of demand for creation of more housing in New York City, the mob is staging a potentially hazardous and costly comeback in the city's construction business, where it has long been a sinister factor. The evidence of its renewed uh, renewed involvement has quietly unspooled in a series of recent corruption prosecutions across the city involving insignificant, or significant, I should say, affordable housing and high-rise hotel projects. Another case ended with the conviction of the head of the powerful state building, Trades Council, 
who admitted taking $100,000 in bribes and was caught on tape consorting with mobsters. I wonder if they're really mobsters or if it's just people bribing each other. Feel like you can't get anything done without a good bribe these days. All the cases present stark evidence of a shift by organized crime from corrupting union uh, construction locals to aligning with non-human union contractors, non-human contractors, including many that employ untrained workers and have lengthy records of on-the-job accidents, including fatalities. They also spotlight the sophisticated manipulation of government programs aimed at promoting the use of women and minority-owned businesses, as well as widespread cheating on workers' compensation payments in schemes that have left injured employees without insurance protection. You know, um... I would love to hear about the mobsters. I would love to hear about because they say Alvin Bragg is looking into it and all that stuff. Um, I would love to hear more about the mobsters because there's none, none that are really mentioned in here. A few, a few, but but what we're talking about with unions, and what we're talking about with regulations, governments. Unions are pretty much governments. Kind of collective bargaining and all that stuff, but they, they there's so much more than that. Uh, the, the whole thing is organized crime. The whole thing is organized crime. It's undue influence. The whole thing is tortious inf- interference. Uh, so I, I guess we'll see what kind of figures, greasy figures they can produce if this actually goes anywhere. I saw this just get posted again today. I'll save this to the side so we can we can see where it goes from here. But we'll see what figures they can produce. What new what new people have to be taken down? Though I don't understand how it could even happen anymore. I don't know with gov- with government being as big as it is. Who the hell can really compete? And here's another one I want to bring up to you. This is uh, that. Um, she's like a claymation character from those old Christmas films in the '60s. Nikki Haley, what an embarrassing, embarrassing, embarrassing person here. Completely past her prime, by the way. And uh, she is talking about how she, just how far she wants to bring the Ukraine war effort. And just listen to how passionate this this dumb sock puppet is. Let's listen to dummy, dummy Haley. This is bigger than Ukraine. This is a war about freedom. Oh. And it's one we have to win. It's a war about freedom. Look at that profile. Her chin goes down and then curls up. I'm telling you, she's like Snow Miser. This is the, she was created in a, I don't know, whoever creates the claymation figures from all of the, you know, year without a Santa Claus. Santa Claus is coming to town. This is about freedom. Don't you know? You look at those Ukrainians and what they do when Russia invaded their freedoms. They moved in there. Our freedoms are being invaded. That's what they all screamed in Latin last, last February. Our freedoms are being invaded. Went to the front lines and fought for their country. The women said, we're not going to stay back. They made Molotov cocktails to defend their country. Everybody gave them five days to survive. But yet their passion and their will pushed them forward. Well, they're mostly dead. Nikki, Nikki, they're mostly dead, and millions more have fled into Western Europe. They're dead, Nikki, because of people like you. They're dead. Hundreds of thousands have been slaughtered. 
dead. They're dead, Nikki. You lying. C I, you liar. What we have to understand is a win for Ukraine is a win for all of us. No. Because tyrants tell us. Now, if, you, if you're saying all of us, you mean all of your friends in both parties who have made this a, you know, in, in the country club that is Washington, D.C., all of your friends there, the stakeholders. Yes, it is a win. This might as well be a stakeholder meeting, but it, it has the trappings of a town hall. That's exactly what they're going to do. What we heard, China said they were going to take Hong Kong. They did it. Russia said they were going to invade Ukraine. We watched that happen. Yeah, because, you know, Hong Kong and Ukraine are all part of Rhode Island. And, I mean, what, what are we going to do? China and you, China and Russia just keep taking the United States. They keep taking portions of states from us. What are we going to do? China says Taiwan's next. We better believe them. Russia said Poland and the Baltics are next. If that happens, we're looking at a world war. When the fuck did they say that? Poland and the Baltics are next? They said that. We're coming for them next. I mean, just come on now. Come on. Now. I mean, they've been very forthright about nobody else getting involved or else there's going to be severe consequences, which, of course, is the story of Ukraine as it is right now. A long, long history of telling everybody, please just stay away from our borders. Don't get involved. And here we are now with Santa Claus is coming to town now. This is about preventing war. And so the way you prevent war is not that we give cash to Ukraine, not that we put troops on the ground, but that we get with our allies and we make sure that we give them the equipment and the ammunition to win. Because when Ukraine wins. But I, but it, that's the same, that's the same thing. <laughs> this is about preventing war by pumping more money and explosives into a war that has been lost months and months ago with nothing to stop it. This is about preventing war. That's what we need to do. We're not going to go in there. We're going to get together with our friends and from a remote location, send in bombs, send in bombs with somebody else who, who has less and less men to actually even send to the front line. So uh, there you go. Of course, um, nobody delivers these ridiculous hackneyed messages uh, more enthusiastically than people like Nikki Haley. What a pathetic bear. I'm trying. Don't want to say the words, but I'm, it, they're fighting, fighting to come out of my mouth. Here's one for you, Nikki. Headline. I know it's 720, but to hell with it. Russia says it put down major Ukrainian offensive hours after it began. Oh, well, it's Putin propaganda, Frank. Of course, Russia would say that. Well, it kind of goes hand in hand with um, the things that have been happening the last year. You know, mostly Zelensky running around the world asking several times for us to rebuild an army that's been completely decimated. So it, it, after a trend, a verifiable trend forms, it just becomes a little bit easier to believe. Did Ukraine forces just attempt to kick off their much-anticipated major counteroffensive only to have it put down immediately afterward? That's what Russian Defense Ministry suggests early Monday in announcing that Ukraine began a large-scale offensive in mounting attacks along five sections of the front lines in the eastern Donbass region. But Russia said it thwarted the major attack and that some 250 Ukrainian troops were killed. 
which include Ukraine sending six mechanized and two tank battalions to Russian-controlled southern Donetsk. On the morning of June 4th, the enemy launched a large-scale offensive in the five sectors of the front in the South Donetsk uh, direction, the MOD statement said. The enemy has failed to reach its goals and was unsuccessful. It added that in total, the attacking forces lost six tanks, three infantry vehicles, and 21 armored vehicles in what would mark a significant defeat if confirmed. Quote, the enemy's goal was to breach our defenses in what they assumed was the most vulnerable section of the front line, Russian military statement continued. Quote, during the day, the occupiers made 23 attacks, but all of them were repulsed by units of the defense forces. Man, we have made Russia and their army so strong. It is that you want to talk about, you want to talk about an army that perhaps maybe had some kinks to work out going back to February 2022. Perhaps had, had a few kinks to work out back then. Maybe. But combining their battlefield performance with their military intelligence and everything else after this past year, their knives are sharp. Their knives are sharp. And we have only been pretending to fight wars the last 25 years. Man, I mean, this is a... Uh, this is a real opponent here. This is a real opponent. During the day, the let's see, the ministry further specified that Russian Chief of General Staff Valery Gerasimov was one of the forward command posts at the time of the thwarted attacks. While Ukrainian President Zelensky just days ago said that his forces stand by ready to launch a counteroffensive, he made no mention of the alleged assault on Sunday night when he gave his nightly video address. I guess that's not a good thing to report on, but uh, there you have it. I don't know. We'll we'll see what is confirmed after that. But you know what, what's a what's what's another couple of hundred people dead? They're just people, you know. They're just people. Get Nikki Haley out there. I think anybody who talks like Nikki Haley should be sent to the front line right now. Send Nikki and every last person who talks the way she does about this, this, this slaughter, send them out there to the front line. I would love to see her with a flak jacket on and a helmet running around with a gun she can't even hold up. That would be wonderful. It really would be to see these people actually have to eat their words and, uh, and not just be thousands of miles away sending other people to be killed. That would, that would be a nice, refreshing, that'd be a refreshing take on things. All right, 724, we did a little bit extra in the opening, but I guess it had to be said. We'll be right back. Hey, you're just mad because I'll be able to do something with my fucking guitar and hands that you'll never be able to achieve in your entire life, kid. So, yeah, you're gay. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? 
think you are that that should be a really great i think that would be a surprisingly good call and topic one night who the hell do you think you are and what gives you the right (laughs) that's toby flenderson's uh exit interview in the office but still one night we'll do that who the hell do you think you are welcome to the show and I'm glad that you're all here with me. Uh, have you been having any weird dreams? You can call in tonight about what you thought if you were watching with us all on QuiteFrankly.tv for the Sunday Nightcap last night with the Plandemic 3 Great Awakening movie. What you thought about that. We'll have Mickey Willis on the show at, at some point in the next couple of weeks. And... Um, you can save it for then, too. So I'm just going to throw out a whole bunch of things you could call in on. But also, strange dreams. Uh, last night, I had a pretty claustrophobic dream. Claustrophobic. Everybody in this dream was living underground, and it was not... It was. I, mean, I would say underground. I'm talking about uncomfortable networks of caves where they have been, you know, bored out of the ground, and they were just like these tight little passages. And some of them were... Like, I was talking to people on the other side of, on the other end of tunnels and shit. They're like, hey, you can go, yeah, come on over, come on. They're, they're saying, yeah, come on over. But I, I'm, I'm crawling through the tunnel, and I realized that some of these tunnels were halfway walled up with stones and stuff. So as tight as the passages already were, you sometimes had to go over the top, and I said, absolutely, uh, no, 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 no. I woke up twice from this dream where for some reason we're, and I had another dream of this young this young boy had like hypothermia. We're trying to get him, you know, inside. He was outside, left outside or something. We had to bring him inside and get him warm or something. And somebody said he's not going to make it. So what the what the hell's going on? But the the tunnels, those were really weird. That was very odd. And my, and I'll tell you, uh, my claustrophobia, whatever I do have of it, I think everybody to some degree is claustrophobic. You know, you ever end up at the bottom of a dog pile? That is not a com- that is not a comfortable place to be, even if you, you know, some people can't get into a tanning booth. I've never been in a tanning booth, but um, I know it's like bad like that. At this point, I've been inside of a MRI machine. I had to get my elbow MRI'd in 2006, so I was on my stomach with my elbow over my head for 45 minutes in this little coffin, and I got through it. I don't think I'd be able to get through it now, though. So it's, it's something weird that's going on there. In this dream, however, I woke up. The second time I woke up, the first thing I thought was, oh, man. I, th- I thought of the Shawshank Redemption. How at the end, he makes his way out of the, out of the, 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 the prison. 
He's crawling through the walls, and the last stretch to freedom is crawling through that long, I don't know how many, how many hundreds of yards of that, that very, very tight pipe. It's a shit pipe, okay? He's crawling through a shit pipe. And I'm thinking to myself, freedom is on the other end of that pipe. Can I get through it? And I don't know if I could. That would be, I, I don't know if I could. I, I would try. I would tie myself up to a rope. If somebody was on the other side of the rope, I would just go like this, put my hands out in front of me. You can pull me all the way through. But that 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 tight wiggling through. Oh man, I woke up feeling like, oh, you know what? I gotta relax before I go back to sleep because I'm gonna go right back into that dream, and this sucks. So I don't know what it all means. But have you had anything like that happen to you lately? So you can call in about that whenever the hell the lines do open up. But you can also talk about this. I, it's about workplace incompetence. And the first thing I want to do is play for you CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, who's out there talking about diversity, diversity and inclusion and how this needs to be forced, behavior needs to be forced through the corporate chain. Listen to this. It's just, it, you have to force behaviors. And if you don't force behaviors, whether it's gender or race or just any way you want to say the composition of your team, you're going to be impacted. And that's not just not recruiting. It is development, as Ken said. How do you force change, though? I mean, Larry, BlackRock has, has really been in the forefront of the ESG movement within, within corporate governance and a real leader. And yet change is so slow. So what is, uh, and, and Ken as well, what, what, how do you force change when it is so incremental and so gradual? Um, how do you do something more radical? Or, or especially when it's so uh, antithetical to human nature. That's the other thing. You know, change is incremental. Change is radical. This is not about creating new ways of doing business. New ways to incentivize better uh, communication and better interaction between a company and whatever it provides to a consumer base and the consumers themselves. New ways to market them, new ways to, uh, to you know, what, how are we going to trigger those impulse buys, whatever the hell it is. This is not about incremental changes in reaching new consumers. This is about changing the nature of mankind which is why none of it works out very well. Which is why when you try to force these changes in those little Seattle coffee shops that don't want to open up at a they're going to let it let it, uh or they're going to leave all the decision making up to their commie employees when they open up and what they pay each other and what do you know they're all they're closed in a, in a year. This is about going against human nature. That's what all of these people that are involved in these social engineering initiatives never really get the handle of, but they don't care about that because at the end, they really are talking about the death of societies, the replacement of societies altogether. They don't care about preserving anything. In fact, the, the sooner they can burn it out, the better. So this guy is asking a half intelligent question, leading, leaving out the, the, real, the real important part of this, which is the human animal itself. How do you do something more radical? Have you thought about that? Has the board of American Express thought about more radical things we could do to enhance diversity and inclusion? Because it has to be imbued in the culture of a firm. It has to be talked about, it has to be shown. Behaviors across the entire firm in every region 
have to be similar. And every citizen of the firm has to understand what is acceptable behaviors and what are unacceptable. The every citizen of the firm. I, but again, w- listen to the, the, the end of that question. Have you thought about that? Has the board of American Express thought about more radical things we could do to enhance diversity and inclusion? What is more, okay, so um, here's my question to you. How can these gigantic corporations that make more money than most countries do, how can they enhance diversity and inclusion? Well, um, stop, stop, uh, put, uh, did you, did you put any hiring freezes on black people and brown people? Um, did you put any hiring, do you have any kind of, you know, company policies about not hiring a person because they may or may not be gay or what is it? Do you have, do you have any company policies about not hiring people with a limp? Can you tell me something about this? Where, where are your companies outlining all of these exclusionary things? Because... Uh, it, that's really the barrier between between diversity and inclusion. If your company is not barring people from joining the ranks or at least competing to join the ranks for what, no matter what the hell they are, for any kind of superficial reason, for every any kind of lifestyle reason that does not uh, come and impact your work or anything like that. If you don't have these policies in place that actually exclude people, then what the fuck are we talking about? Show up for the interview with your, 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 your resume. If you're the right person for the job, you're fucking hired. What are we talking about? It's, it's, these are the most, some of the most influential people on the planet. Now, they're not stupid. They're just talking in coded language. That's the whole thing. My question is, what, why? Okay, they wanted, if they want to be able to, everybody talks about population reduction. I, what is, why, why, why does it have to be done with a, an artificially diverse BlackRock out there? I don't get that. That, that I don't get. Behave, behavior modification, why? Because they don't care about real diversity, equity, and inclusion, whatever the hell that all means. All of that equates to just control. So it, it's this, in, again, it's the invisible fence dog collar. I guess anybody who works underneath them, and when you think about all the stuff that BlackRock owns, it trickles down to many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people tiptoeing, self-censoring themselves. It's just sterilized human interactions they're trying to create, I guess, and ultimate, ultimately obedience. So I, I guess there's that. I guess there's that. Maybe that's just the, 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 the water that they're carrying. Maybe this is the slice of the pie that they're in control of. But it's not just about quotas to bring in racially and uh, racial, racially militant or gender militant people. You know the kind of people, I mean, these are the people that, the hires that you can't fire because it's always about discrimination and who who can accuse you of some type of workplace abuse with little to no evidence provided or anything like that. It's about bringing people who will proactively advance the party's ideology. And um, I don't, it's just so incredible. 
it's just so incredible because you think that along the way they would want to be able to maintain some kind of quality uh, because you're not you can find people who are black brown uh, white who are qualified to do something and are also crazy do you just need to go for crazy that that puts I mean because the quality is going to suffer it always does and that's why where it comes in for you guys and gals here tonight here's the headline from zero hedge what happens when the competent opt out this is written by uh, Charles Hugh Smith of two minds blog what happens when the competent retire burn out or opt out it's a question few bother to ask because the base assumption is that there is essentially a limitless pool of competent people who can be tapped or trained to replace those who retire burn out or opt out i.e quit in favor of a lifestyle that doesn't require much in the way of income or stress like i said before would you i know there's a lot of people out there as long as they can get by and living within their means, they would take less just for peace of mind. These assumptions are no longer valid. A great many essential services that are tightly bound to other essential services are cracking as the competent decide or realize they're done with the rat race. The drivers of the competent opting out are obvious yet difficult to quantify. Those retiring, burning out, and opting out will deny they're leaving for these reasons because it's not pol- uh, uh, pol- um, politic to be so honest and direct. They will offer time-honored dodges such as to pursue other opportunities or family obligations, but number one, the steady increase in workloads, paperwork, compliance, and make work that led to burnout. There's only so much we can accomplish And if we are being burdened with ever-increasing demands for paperwork, compliance, useless meetings, training sessions, etc., then we no longer have the time or the energy to perform our productive work. I love that they brought this up here first. Because over 10 years ago, I'll tell you, I I noticed this well over 10 years ago. I was personal training. I I was doing a lot of private private work, but also I was working out, um, I was training people at a local YMCA. And within five to six years of me being there, the heart and the soul, save for a couple of really good friends, were completely cored out of the place, especially in the leadership. And we weren't hearing about ESG or anything else back then, but the diversity stuff had already trumped all of the reasonable decision-making about staff hirings, for example. Um, this is when they started elevating people who had, who had just checked boxes instead of had real good experience. They were ignoring good ideas from people that, are, that were on staff for new programs, fitness programs and shit like that. And instead they would fixate on things like, what should we rename the fitness center? Uh, and, and, and then it would take them three to four weeks to come up with wellness center. We're gonna call it a wellness center now. Fitness is just too much pressure. This is the kind of shit that was going on back then. And I know it's worse now. I know it's worse now with the gender-neutral saunas, okay? I know it's worse now. The, the diversifying of bathrooms. This one director came up to me. We're already in the dark times as far as fitness directors go. All my really good friends who are worth a damn, they were already out of the position at that time. This one director came up to me during a shift I had and asked my opinion about what we should call the new... I mean, it might have been like January or something or, or December. We're getting ready for the new year. And they asked my opinion what, what we should call the new personal training start, uh, you know, starter package 
to encourage people to sign up for personal training or semi-private lessons or anything like that. And I said, I, I don't know, call it a personal training Kickstarter package. Just call it the Kickstarter package, whatever. It sounds dynamic, it sounds fun, and whatever. Just don't even think about it. I didn't think that this was too much of a thing, so I threw it out there. And she was a little, oh, okay, okay, sounds good. So then uh, two or three weeks go by. And I'm approached on shift again. I guess she probably forgot that she had already asked me this question. And she asked me the same damn question again. Same damn question again. I said, well, I already told you. you call it the Kickstarter package and stop thinking about it too much. She said, oh, well, you know, it's, um, it's just a little bit too aggressive sounding. And this is what they concentrate on. This is what, this is what we're talking about here. And it's exactly what this is. And it makes everything around completely, it's unbearable. I mean, if you need the, if you need the paycheck, you got you to gotta get the paycheck. If you need the money, you do what you got to do. You got to pay your bills. Absolutely. That's what you got to do. I was wiping down those, um, those machines. I was doing what I had to do and whistling my way through. But that's, uh, let's get back to the article. He said, I wrote a short book on my experience of burnout. Well, there's a lot of burnout in that respect. Number two, loss of autonomy, control, belonging, rewards, accomplishment, and fairness. Professor Christina Malash pioneered research on the causes of burnout, which can be summarized as any work environment that reduces autonomy, control, belonging, rewards, accomplishment, and fairness. Despite a near infinite avalanche of corporate happy talk, we're all family, stuff like that, this is describes a great many work environments in the U.S. in a word, depersonalized. And that's exactly what Larry Fink is talking about. Or the diversity, inclusion, it, it, they are the most banal, sterile, it, it, it's boring, there's nothing to them, it, it's just, I don't know. They are, they have been sapped of their meaning. In fact, they are just, uh, they're inert. They're just inert words. Some, some words are having been completely inverted from what could be seen as generally positive and idealistic, but they are just inverted. And we, we know that there are modes, there, there, there are words that, that just suggest control needs to be surrendered in one way or another, or certain groups need to step back and others who may or may not be qualified to even compete with certain others are put forward because of superficial things that should not matter in a, in a world that really favors inclusion because you want to be able to promote the best of the best. So... There's that. The politicization, the politicization, the, the politicization, I hate that word. Politic, the politicization, the politicization, fuck you, of the work environment. Let's begin by distinguishing between policies enforcing equal opportunity, pay, standards, and accountability. There is no accountability. Policies required to fulfill the legal promises embedded in the nation's social contract <laughs> and politicization, which demands allegiance and declarations of loyalty to political ideologies that have nothing to do with the work being done or the standards or of accountability necessary to the operation of the complex institution or enterprise. I know. 
Like, imagine working at a gym, and your only thing is to make sure that the fitness center is clean, that the machines are all up to date, that they are working, that they are good, that they are being used. If they're not being used, let's get something in there that might attract some attention, that you have good uh, things, the fitness programs on the calendar, you got good people on staff, you got a good environment over there and everybody's having a good time. And that's really all you have to know. You're trying to get people to exercise more. Suddenly, if you are a fitness director or if you are a, an assistant director of sports at some school, it's not about whether or not the kids are going out the same time every day and having a good 45-minute session of kickball. You need to be able to understand the ins and outs of human sexuality and how to use anal beads. How, you, you need to be able to understand the nuances of diversifying a locker room. Okay, so that the old ladies, the young girls, and the men who think that they're young girls can all coexist peacefully without any kind of problems. This is what we're. This is this is it. It's a. It's it's stifling at this point because it didn't used to be this bad 15 years ago. Um, I think I think that was actually what was so fun about about the office, which I know that they're trying to reboot now. They're thinking about rebooting the office in Australia with an all-female cast. So that's going to be that's going to be just as that's going to be as funny as a dead moth. And um but th- that's the real reason why the office was so amazing. It really captured that stiff corporate culture so well and the 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 I don't know, the the uncomfortable atmosphere of wanting to be loose in a place where you just cannot do that. And of course that you can never you can never put out a show that good of high quality these days. Just couldn't do it. Um, but that was good. And at least we always have that. And number four, the competent must cover for the incompetent. As the competent tire of the artifice and the make work and quit, the remaining competent must uh, let's see, must work harder to keep everything glued together. Their commitment to high standards and accountability are their undoing. And the slack masters and the incompetent either don't care, I'm just here to qualify for my pension crew, or they've mastered the processes of masking their incompetence by often blaming the competent for the innocent or the innocent for their own fallings. Fallings down. So have you had those problems? I, I know all these. I've seen them. Thankfully, I'm self-employed now. So the only incompetence I know is my own. And I don't have anybody to complain to. So at this point, and number five, as the competent leadership leaves, the incompetent take the reins. <laughs> that, yep. And they blind to their own incompetence. It all looked so easy when the competent were at the helm, but reality is cruel, a cruel taskmaster, and all of the excuses that worked as an underling, they wear thin once the incompetent are in leadership roles. And that is when you really have people start leaving. Because the incompetent, they actually they don't, they don't have a lot of work ethic, they don't have a lot of people skills, and they don't really understand they, they never understood what kind of stuff was going on at higher levels when they were fucking off somewhere and making everybody else around them look bad and forcing out good leadership that just really need, needed some competent hiring practices underneath them to, to support a good team. 
But once you get up there, once you've been moved up, because at that point you are seniority, even though you're worth dick, um, then you start realizing that it actually comes responsibilities, and that also inquire that also requires you to interface with people. Um, it requires you to be humble so that you can make sure that the customer always feels like they're being satisfied, but these people don't have people skills, and they're, they're usually not, not adept for the, the situation, and, uh, and, and their weaknesses shine through in incredible ways. And then, of course, when you are a competent worker that has been passed over for somebody who's incompetent, who wants to, I don't know, they think it's going to be challenged, or in some cases where they, they find it, it could be a good diversity pick, um, if they're going by some kind of ESG rules, then man, that really starts stinging. I know you guys know some of the same things that we were talking about with the whole fight for 15 stuff. Now, I want to ask you guys about this. I want to ask you guys about this. They have the life cycle of, of a bureaucracy here. And then we're going to take some calls. Let's see here. Look at this. I thought this was pretty good. So you have the program budget is in blue. The administrative costs are in red. And you have the expansion phase. You have the launch. Tight budgets, modest pay, minimal benefits, high camaraderie within the staff because you're excited. Then there's growth, rapid growth in program and staffing. Morale is still high. Maturity, mission creep, union, and administration gain political power. And there you have the uh, departments solidify. And then you start getting to, uh, to the infighting phase. Then you have the bloat phase. This is the contraction. So this is your rising action. This is your pinnacle. And then you have your contraction. The bloat phase. The budget is flat, but administration costs rise. Gaming the system and fraud are rife. Budget cuts. Program abandoned as focus shifts to protecting budget and staff pay and benefits. And then finally, the failure and the implosion. The competent retire, leaving the incompetent in command. Morale is low. Chaos and failure is the norm. Organizational organizational implosion. I want to hear about your stories of workplace incompetence. If you see, obviously everybody has seen this in the past. This is just the life cycle of a business. Some of them can handle the, their uh, handle this a lot better and keep things healthy for a lot longer and sometimes for many generations and only keep growing. But um, especially in the times that we're in right now, are you seeing this right now in a new, new, uh, rapidly deteriorating fashion? Are you seeing this play out right now? So you can call in about that. You can call in about uh, what you thought about pandemic. You can call in about if you've had any weird dreams or all three. Just make sure it's quick. All of your thoughts are come together quick. So let's go on a really quick break when we come back. We're going to take all of your calls on this. 914-200-0269. 914-200-0269. We'll be right back. It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. We'll be right back. Yeah, intermission. <laughs> 
We got some great, great calls coming in. Keep them coming. 914-200. Well, that's the old one. Sorry. 914-200-0269. All right. Let's take a call from Julie. What's going on, Julie? 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 Casey? Frank? How are you, Casey? I'm not bad. How you doing, man? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. It's a Monday night, but it's a beautiful night, so I'm happy to be here. How are you feeling uh, on this call so far? Oh, dude. I have... Oh, this could be like a, a whole show unto itself as far as the incompetence of incoming workers and stuff. Oh, um, good. I was a firefighter for six years in in my city that I won't name right now. And I've been off the job longer now than I was on the job. But, um, yeah, again, whole show unto itself with all the, uh, fuckery and things that went on there. But my husband is a journeyman lineman and he worked for the utility company here locally for 17 years. And he just recently left. And again, he's got just story after story of, I mean, when, both when he was coming into line work and when I was going on to the fire department, it was just at the time where we were like the last, well, I, not so much me because I came on a couple to my job a couple years after him, but it was, you know, old school mentality. If you had to know every tool on the truck and if you forgot a tool, you had to wear it around your neck for the whole day, you know, or like a safety cone on your head or something for the whole day, got worked into the dirt. And that's what you did. And his apprenticeship was four years before he got his ticket. So, I mean, those guys, it was brutal. They got treated like dog shit for the first four years they were on their job. And, they, you know, you couldn't say boo to anybody that was above you seniority-wise or somebody who already had their cert. And in the last 
five years or so that he's that he was with the utility still he he'd come home and tell me about like apprentices they don't have any bucket time which is where they go up and like the lift and they put on the big rubber gloves and they work with live wires and live electricity and stuff they were like force feeding them through to make sure they had enough hours to get this gloving time and a bunch of them would come away with still zero understanding of what the hell they were supposed to do like if they pulled up on a trouble call at night by themselves they were going to be dead in the water they had no idea what was going on Jeez. he he took video of this kid that was like i think he was on his first or second year of apprenticeship refused to do anything refused to go up in the bucket would sit down on the ground and stare at his phone which for anybody that's been in any kind of like I don't know if it's if police works like this. The fire department most certainly was. Is it hard? Is you it hard don't. to get rid of people like this? See, that, that's what I'm talking about. I, I mean, we see uh, I, when I think about union jobs and I see all the the union construction workers uh, uh, lining the streets and the highways over here. I always count all the people that are just standing around playing with their phones while two other people are using jackhammers. And I and I, I oh count, yeah. I laugh to myself, but when you're talking about these newbies that are that are apprentices that are supposed to be going up there and cutting their teeth, and uh, and they're refusing work and they're just they're just you know you know me- messing off a little bit, uh, is there any and way nobody's is, doing anything about it? You That's can't. Get, the thing is, like, if you did something like that when my husband was coming up, like, you got busted back, you got held back. You so, had to redo the unit, you had to redo your hours, and it was going to be another couple six months before you got your cert. Man, you, they don't do that anymore. They don't hold those guys to those same standards. The wokeness, though, this is really funny. So, probably a couple of years ago, um, obviously the the utility company has all their own trucks and their whole fleet of everything. So they have a garage where they do repairs and stuff. Well, this guy that works in the garage decides he's a woman now. Oh, they had one of those. Woman, changes his name to a female version of his of his man name, and. Uh, Everybody, they had to do sensitivity training like once a year since this dude decided he's now, and I'm, it wasn't like a passable kind of thing. It was, it sounded more like a dude looking for a lawsuit kind of a thing, you know, but I mean, he, he committed to it fully. And, uh, so they having all the sensitivity training, my husband raised his hand and he says, can we please say a prayer for so-and-so? And all the, you know, the supervisors are scratching their heads and gritting their teeth and, oh, you know, we can't do that. You know, we can't do that. But they all have to sit there and get their names pencil whipped on a piece of paper says they sat in the room for eight hours and did the sensitivity training. Jeez. But they can't even pray for this person. Well, Casey, uh, thank (laughs) you. I, well, I knew it was going to be. What? I mean, that's just, that's nuts. That's nuts. Well, that's a great example. Great example. You know that that's just going to filter up. Soon there's going to be a uh, transgender foreman. There's probably many of them at this point. I, I wonder how many foremen have uh, have uh, started their transition over the last couple of years, whether they're committing to yeah. a uh, scam or, or something else. But thank you for the call, Casey, and all the best to uh, Dylan. Yes, sir. Have a great night. All right. Wow. Wow. You see... Th- when you got the apprentices messing around like that, and there's no way to even say, all right, well, sorry, new guy, just get the hell out of here. How the hell do they have protections? That's, in, that's just incredible. Uh, 541, you're on the air. Who's this? It is your brother, Zo. How the heck you doing? Hey, Zoso, how you doing? I am grooving, my man. Hey, sometime in the next month five weeks i'll be headed your way i'll keep you posted as it gets 
here, but yeah, please, I please, let, I could not let this topic go. Okay, good. Get get on it. Let's the go. Young lady, the young lady was talking about, uh, you know, I guess uh, electrical problem. I am a superintendent for a construction company, and let me tell you, if there are any people in your audience who have young men and women with a brain in their heads who want to make a ton of money, send them to construction because the workers that we have, here's here's what has happened to construction. About 20 years ago, I read an article that said 80% of the construction workforce is going to retire in the next 10 years. Well, they're all either managers or retired. So everything we have now are young guns who, if they know how to swing a hammer, they already think they're a journeyman. They'll tell you they're a carpenter when the fact they don't even they don't even know how to build a set of stairs. Frank, it is the toughest thing to be in. Had a had a young man come to my job a couple of weeks ago. I had two weeks to hand him the keys. So at this point, I don't care what I need done. I just need it done. And this guy says, "Yeah, I'm a carpenter." I said, "Okay, well, you you look around, you'll see the building's just about completely done." Uh, what I really need is you to grab that pressure washer and get over here and uh, wash that sidewalk for me. He goes, well, I don't know if you heard me, man. I'm a carpenter. And I said, yeah, I heard you. I'm a carpenter, too. But guess what? I need a sidewalk washed right now. <laughs> he goes, you should have asked for a labor. I mean, this is the kind of mentality that I'm dealing with. Wow. It is, my goodness, man. Wow. My goodness. Any, any. Any Franklies out there who have kids in their in their early twenties who, with a brain in their heads and want to make a killing, please send them to us construction workers. We need them. We need them. Well, it sounds like you need more than just a brain. You need some. You need some old school humility and 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 and. Uh, it's, it sounds like just the humility kind of a thing there. Oh, you know the other thing. Hold on. Before we get into anything else, Zoe, um, when we talk about things like healthcare. Or even if it's just retail, I feel like we have been suffering from hyper specialization of everything these days. Where you can never you can never just talk to somebody about a general issue you have and have somebody with general knowledge be able to get you through to the finish line. It's always oh, I specialize in nails. I specialize. Oh I specialize you in hammer. I specialize in screws. I specialize in you know one specific vein inside of the eye. You know, it's like you always have to, you have to go to a doctor for a, a, a specific artery. You know, not just you can't just go to a doctor for everything anymore. So what is that? How do you see that playing out with? Uh, I mean, obviously you have the carpenter that doesn't want to. Who doesn't want to do the work of a laborer? Obviously, he feels right. like he's above that too. But uh, that, that has to be more widespread than just that, no? Oh no, there, it, there are. Uh, you know, fortunately, fortunately, uh, construction. Most of the trades stick in their lanes. You know, electricians do electrical work. There's low voltage guys. There's high voltage guys. There's uh, you know plumbers, and some trades kind of bleed off and do a little bit of somebody else's work. Like a carpenter can also build cabinets, but, you know, then there's just plain raw framers. It doesn't affect construction as much, but I have experienced exactly what you're talking about in healthcare. In the last six months, Frank, I've been trying to get a hernia operation for I, I uh, herniated my little belly button. Oh. And I've, I, they have sent me to, because it's a workman's comp case, I have gone to nine different doctors and every single one exactly as you say 
oh, um, I'm, I'm going to have to send you over to a different office. And I get to that office. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, we're going to send you over here to this guy. They're, they're spe- surgical specialists. I have to send you to my colleague. He's the best belly button guy in the business. It's just like, you know. I'm kidding you, man. It's, it's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, God, those poor healthcare people. God bless them. Wow. Well, wow. dude, great to talk to you. Looking forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, listen. Whenever you have a trajectory, whenever you have a window, when you think you're going to be passing through, let me know because I'm I'm booking uh, July pretty feverishly at this point. So I want to make sure you have a night. Absolutely, I will keep you posted. I'm gonna, I'm going to say somewhere around the last week of July, maybe first week of August, somewhere right in there, brother. Okay, I'll I'll I'll, I'll make sure to keep that flexible. All right, my man. All right, later. Take care. Great to talk to you. There Bye. you go. This is gonna be, sounds like it's going to be two years in a row. Zoso came in last year, right? Or was it? It was it 2021. I don't know. It's such a blur. Uh, it is such a blur. Let's take a call from uh, Mr. Mr. B. What's going on, Mr. B? <laughs> Fellow personal trainer, you got that right. Hello. Um, <laughs> I would, this is this is that is an article from Zero Hedge. Yeah. I mean, that is the deterioration of fitness and what we experienced. So uh, I, I can only add to it, if you don't mind. I can take two minutes. And oh, no, no, please. Add, add to it because, you know, uh, Mr. B, you, um, you're, you're one, of the, one of the people out there that we experienced a lot of things together, and we've seen a lot of those transitions. And uh, We had, yeah, we had the tight-knit crew. We had, you know, we had the crew that just, they did their own thing. They had their own backgrounds. And it was kind of a laissez-faire policy. We just, we were able to train, and that was it. I'd say, um, you know, I, I played a bigger role in that fitness center, and uh, the ideas got squashed when we had something called Activate America happen, and they came up with a new term for exercise and the exerciser, and they called the person a health seeker. That's they right. wanted to target a different type of person. A person who wanted to be healthy, who wanted to exercise, but they were they were afraid of the gym, and that's who we were going to go after. And they stamped them as a health seeker. And what they identified through their research was that there were 18 different obstacles to get this health seeker from their couch into the fitness center. And it could have been they were afraid to get into their car. They couldn't find they couldn't find a parking spot. They fumbled around with their membership card at the front desk. There were two flights of stairs that they needed to climb in order to get up to the fitness center. Once they got into the fitness center, there was another check-in. Um, and all those things were enough of a reason for that health seeker to turn around, get back in their car, and not work out. Um, so we had to count. We, we had to, you know, do we, – we actually set up drivers to go pick the person up. The personal trainer would go – pick the client up when was this bring them to the fitness i mean center. i I, I was i was there i was there when you were when you were fitness director yeah, this so this was this was late like 2008 2009 these were the brainstorm and this actually went on for a little bit we put up curtains in the group classes so people didn't have to see themselves in the mirror <laughs> I don't. Oh, I don't remember the curtains. I remember when so, they. I remember when they renamed the the fitness center, the wellness center, though. And the it, that's wellness a, center. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, and the, what else was there? Um, the, the advertisements. The advertisements. You couldn't. You didn't want to use fitness, and the advertisements couldn't be uh, women in sports bras with you know a toned stomach lifting a weight. 
it couldn't be a guy with a you know a vein running down his arm. So oh. that's a, they changed everything. It was a, it was about just everybody, and it wasn't about getting in shape. It was more about it, they definitely stuck with like the mind, spirit, body concept, but. You know, they they said you really don't need to work at this anymore. You can just do whatever you want, and that's that. Uh, I, I it, that is I know that it's happened elsewhere because we we have we have a lot of friends in in different places, not just in you know uh, that one chain of uh, of wellness centers. But there yeah. is, um, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Like like you said, there is a time when you can see a group of people who are all good at what they do and left alone, it just creates not only a lot of camaraderie among the members and their trainers and, and, and whatever, but also camaraderie among the workers. And then all of a sudden, everybody's attention is pulled to the most tedious, mind-numbing stuff that helps nobody and only complicates, uh, only complicates what is naturally the most easy thing in the world. You want to be able to move every day. The body responds in only a certain amount of ways. We're not reinventing the wheel, but the, the coddling, it's, it's part of the mental, the, the mental toughness aspect of it. It is the coddling that has made so much, um, it's, it's, made, oh, it's made things so hard, really, really hard yeah. to deal with. So it's, uh, it's still going. You know, the shutdown definitely accelerated that a little bit more to where the gym is just, it's just a bizarre place to be at times and it's definitely a bizarre place to work and you know that place that you were talking about there's still some you know hidden gems that still work there and nobody knows their background mm. and it's just they're they're okay with that and it's, it's super super talented people you know former golden gloves boxers martial arts like unbelievable people and it, it's it's done they don't like talent they just want you know yeah People that turn the lights on and off, and it's unfortunate. They just want the message. They love. They want the message to be pushed. That's it. And the message. Yep, and if it, you have ideas, forget about it. They're not going to listen to them. That's been a long time. I I remember I, I wanted to start a, I wanted to start after school dodgeball, and they actually yeah. consi- <laughs> they, they actually consider they actually considered it for a second. Then finally, I said, "We're not going to go with that." And I was like, "Ah, come on, come on. You, this would be so fun." But um, oh, it's agility ball now. Come on. That, oh, that's oh yeah. Well, I can imagine dodgeball. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I want, and that was the greatest thing about that is it would be dodgeball in this little racquetball court. So there's there's no place to run. And um, I <laughs> anyway, love that. Well, I, I, Mr. B, thank you so much for calling in. You got it, man. Talk to you soon. All right, take care. There take you care. go. See, you see, someone to att- to remember things that I have forgotten. Now I didn't know that they were carpooling people. And I don't remember, maybe I do remember, maybe I do remember the curtains in front of the, in front of the mirrors, which are actually, the mirrors are necessary. I know that it's a tool of the egomaniac, someone who just, you can't stop looking at yourself, but mirrors are, are very important in a gym, especially for being able to manage your, your, uh, your form and, and everything else. So to, to make it all about ego is really indicative just how these people think they're always like oh we want to counter racism or counter one thing or another but they always just double down on racist and self-image obsessed tropes and ideas that 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 are rooted and just seeped in self-image covering up the mirrors you need the mirrors 
You don't have to ogle yourself. All right, let's go. 252, you're on the air. What's up, Frank? I'm driving right now. I don't know if uh, I got, if you can hear me clear or not. You, yeah, you sound great. Uh, Who am I talking to? Uh, this is John from North Carolina. Welcome, John. How, what's on your mind? Not much, man. I'm driving through Kentucky right now. But uh, anyway, I was listening to the show on this road trip, and uh, that, that article's spot on. I think it's kind of widespread through all industries. I work for a mining company in uh, North Carolina, and, and we're seeing it right now. They The corporation is based out of Canada, and they're like kind of uber woke in Canada with the HR, HR women that run the things. And, uh, like, uh, all of our new high, all of our new management hires are either women or minorities. They put out this quota system. They want 30% of their management to be minorities and then another certain percentage to be women. And then they got like the LGBTQ stuff and all that crap. And it's, uh, I've only been with the company for three years, but it's, it's kind of makes it seem like where's this company going to go in 10 years, you know? Oh yeah. uh, They're hiring people not based on their merit or their qualifications. But, uh, you know, but what they look like or what they identify as, it's, it's just going to, I mean, that BlackRock thing to me, because of who they are, it just kind of seems like it's a way, another way to fuck us in the economy and everything in the long run. Well, dude, I mean, you, you heard that, when, when you heard that, um, that, that video that I played before, that that is the top of the pecking order right there. When you're when you're listening in on how these guys are thinking over there at BlackRock, that is where all this stuff trickles down from. The stuff you're dealing with right, right. now, that's where it's trickling down from. It's running downhill huh. to you. When you talk, oh yeah, to- we have a scorecard for our. Uh, we get a stip bonus. So we get a bonus yearly, you know. And they have like this corporate scorecard, and it's usually based on certain things. But now they've added the ESG to it. And all that, it's just, it's crazy, you know? And, and most of the men, most of the people that work in this industry are, you know, your typical white Christian man. And then they, they've, I've, I've dealt with HR where they've come in and they've taught us all this, uh, you know, the comedy, gob- or comedy, comedy, or whatever, you know how Norm calls it. But anyway, they, uh, <clears throat> they come in and, and they just, it's just, they kind of whitewash and are trying to pull the wool over people's eyes and it just isn't going to work. People yeah. are going to quit. People are going to leave. The incompetent folk, you know, that article nails it spot on. But, yeah, I think it's widespread. And uh, I'll let you get back to the show, man, and I hope you have a good one. I know, I really appreciate it. I, and I have to imagine that there's a lot of when you when you and your coworkers get together for a lunch or something like that, when, when you know that you're in, uh, you know, safe company, you're all agreeing on the same things because it can't be. Oh, yeah. it, 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 I, it's meant to make people uncomfortable because what you can see here is what they're trying to do is, change behaviors thank you for the call um and, and what's the behavior they make it seem like they are on a mission a mission to finally eradicate racism and discrimination and sexism they need to do they need to strong arm society into finally equalizing because we won't do it ourselves that is not what you're what you're saying when you put this type of quotas in that's not what you're saying. Like when I hear people on on the in baseball, whether it be Major League Baseball or anything else, talking about there's a lack of there's a lack of uh, black uh, uh, black men playing baseball. My question is, what's your community outreach like? What's your community outreach like in Little League? What are you doing? What are you doing to 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 make the game more accessible to people? 
I mean, that's the real thing. I, you want to talk about uh, you want to talk about carpooling. I mean, we we used to have uh, this first couple of years that I was coaching baseball for the 12U team. I coached from 2006 until 2019, and I those first couple of years we were having practices in some of the the crappier fields on in in the in in the town because we just need places to practice so we'd pick up some uh practices there and whatever and there'd be a lot of neighborhood kids uh black hispanic white all hanging out that were not part of the league that were just hanging around while we're having practice and i would i would get them involved and and a couple actually joined the team i uh I, i arranged for them to to have their you know get the get a uniform and stuff like that parents were not involved they were all just, you know, latchkey kids on their own, stuff like that. I would show up, pick them up at their houses, get them to the, you know, and, 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 there's, a, and there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of teaching that goes on in there, too, because you can tell that there's not a lot of parent, parental involvement there. And that's really the whole thing, that these are not sports, these are not jobs, these are not schools that were made for people of certain race or certain sex or anything like that it's it's about how do you inspire people to go out there and reach new new levels of their potential and and again it always comes down to misdiagnosing the problem and where are you sending money and you're not thinking about actual real cultural issues that are going on you're thinking about something else and a lot of the problems is that we're looking at we're looking at the fallout from past uh, societal programs, past government programs to to fix another problem that they thought that could be cured with money and not with grassroots cultural reinvigoration. So this is just part of a the the, the trauma cycle that we are, we we go through naturally with government and ourselves. You know, it's uh it's not about hey, well you know why can't why aren't there more black people in construction? Well, it's not because they don't they won't be able to swing a hammer if you teach them how. You know, it's not because they wouldn't be qualified if they knew how to swing. It's not because there wouldn't be somebody out there to hire them if they knew how to swing a hammer just as good as anybody else. You know, uh that's it's always misdiagnosed, purposely misdiagnosed, but Larry Fink and everybody else they have something else up their sleeve. They have something else up their sleeve. They're helping. They're doing their part in conquering a civilization. That's what's going on there. Let's take a really quick break. We'll be right back. I like your pants around your feet. I like your feet around your pants. I like your pants around your pants.
listening, quite frankly. golden retriever <laughs> I love that one I really do uh, uh, so anyway beautiful dogs those golden retrievers let me get to some super chats and then we're taking your go a lot more calls are coming in I love it so this was a good good topic a good topic. Competent people leaving is Anne Ryan's Atlas Shrugged. That's from NJSF. Uh, NJSF also says, although this is on Rockfin, says Hochul and Adams need them to offset populations moving out. Well, yeah, I guess. There might be a lot of people who have just left. I mean, unless... Unless these are BlackRock properties. Because, you know, a lot of people have put their houses on the market in the last three years. Uh, BlackRock, uh, Vanguard, all of these types of big companies, they'll come in. And other development companies, they'll come in and they were just outbidding everybody. Anybody out there who might have actually just really wanted to settle down and have a forever home with their family or grow a family or whatever, were outbidded by 30 to 60%. And, uh, and then we, we know we can tie that into the, the same kind of predatory activity as what Catherine Austin Fitz was talking about with these opportunity zones that were going on with the, 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 the property depreciation inside of all of those riot zones. And, and uh, you know, no bigger opportunity zone than a place like New York right now when you have 50% of the businesses that... That left and and now you're just cutting deals with everybody. As far as who they're going to put this, I cannot imagine. There's going to be a couple of people who think that they can do this for clout. I know that there's going to be a couple of people who say, we're going to take in a migrant family. No, mom, let's not. No, we are going to do it. We're going to do it and we're going to Instagram about it. Okay. So there's going to be a couple of white saviors that take in the migrants. They're going to quickly regret it. And they're going to realize it's going to be very hard to get rid of them. But I would not be surprised if on the down low, uh, a lot of this billions of dollars that has been set aside for 
New York City is going to be diverted into empty houses that were sold and bought up by BlackRock or something like that. A couple billion dollars extra. You can uh, keep up with the um, the migrant crisis and all that stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised. You think $4.3 billion is going to be distributed in some kind of legitimate way when the migrant crisis itself is illegitimate? This is This, this is such a... Ooh... Let's see here. Yamez says Americans are living out the office in real time, except the boss has zero endearing qualities. Praying for you, brother. That's a wonderful way of putting it. Michael Scott, especially once you get into season three. Season two, you get a couple of like the Halloween episode. You see that he's, you know, he makes an ass of himself at the Halloween party and all that stuff. Um, and he has to to fire. What's his name? Um, but at the end, you see him giving out candy to the kids and you say, oh, you know, he's a good guy. He just can't get out of his own way. There's no endearing qualities with, with, uh, our bosses. Stostube. That's a great, thank you, Yemez, for that. Thank you so much. Stostube says, great Monday, Frank and Franklies. Off to another great week of wonderful independent media. And it's independent media that survives because of people like you, Stowe. Thank you. Thank you to you all, especially to the Stostube family out there in Massachusetts. Ken McNeil Music says, uh, the only day job I've ever had has finally been infiltrated by ESG and DEI. Five workers quit every day. They can't keep enough workers to keep the manufacturing going. Incompetence has ruled since the events of 2020. Sad, I'm leaving. Turnover is incredible, isn't it? Just incredible. KT Sky D says companies are starting to see that performing ESG theatrics to get access to loan and uh, loan and debt from BlackRock is no longer worth it since they're losing so much money in profits and are about to get uh, sued by their shareholders. Oh yeah, I I was reading little rumblings of that and I I had not even thought about it until today. Not even thought about it that you know you have. These are publicly traded companies. And there's a lot of people out there who are looking at investing in these companies as a way of building up retirement and, and, uh, and you know, just, just fueling industry and having some skin in the game. And then when you see that these companies who have your money are taking money from trillionaire political ideologues and they're going on these, these, these crusades to try to change cultures instead of just sell soda, sell beer. They're going on these ridiculous self-sabotaging crusades. It's a great point. If I had, if I held stock in any of this stuff, I would prefer, pre- prepare major class action lawsuits because it is deliberately being done. And I see more and more there's pushback. I mean, especially this L, this LG, this gay, gay pride month. I've said it many times, I'll continue to say it. They have completely gone beyond their viability as a social movement. There is nothing endearing, there's nothing natural, and there is nothing organic about what this gay incorporated steamroller has become, always was, and was waiting for its time to really just come out and start swinging. And that's what's going on right now. There is no more there is no more um, 
fuzziness about the whole thing. The whole civil rights thing is gone. They are the bullies. It is completely degenerate. They have gone far beyond what is comfortable for anybody to accept when they start going into schools and after children. And it's it, that's just what it is. It's not about banning books. It's not about taking to kill a mockingbird or uh, or uh, you know something else. Dr. Seuss off the the shelves. It's not that about that. And I can see that Major League Baseball, that a few other places, they saw the backlash. They're completely pulling back all their gay logos and shit like that. Um, I, I saw that the Mets, I was watching a little bit of, for lunch today, I was watching a little bit of an encore presentation of the New York Mets versus the Toronto Blue Jays from yesterday. And uh, probably around the sixth inning, they wanted, you know, in between innings, they always say on the television broadcast, "Hey, come to the come to the uh, the stadium on on you know so and so date for bobblehead night or something like that." Well, they already bought the rainbow uh, fans, you know, the accordion fans. You op- you open them up and you you fan yourself. They obviously already bought the rainbow fans, but uh, they're seeing what's going on around the the. The, the country right now and they said come to you know uh, foldable fan night and it's all rainbow but they said nothing about pride nothing about gay uh, which would not have been the case even just last year so you can tell that they just you know what let's just get these uh, let's get these fans out I guess we're gonna have to just say it one way or another um, you can tell that everybody's a very nervous right now and it's a good place to be it's a good place to be because um, we're, we're, we're showing that this whole ESG, DEI thing is really just a militant political non, uh, farce. And it's harming a lot of things, not only people's ways of life, it's harming work culture, it's harming children, it's harming everything. But, um, but we'll see because it's, it's not enough for Major League Baseball or one other corporate Raytheon or something else to change their their logos back to the non-gay edition because it's the the mentality of the people in the boardrooms that's still that's still there just because they're reacting to everybody else paying attention now doesn't mean that they're not going to find another way to snake their ways into where they always wanted to go so objectively good but where does it go from here friggin person head this is from last night says i just became a new sponsor and this one is my first sunday streams that i was on yes i remember you yesterday on sunday streams although your name here was different from name there so i'm not putting it together anyway welcome as a sponsor this is one of my first sunday streams i wanted to ask you about I wanted to ask you about your grandfather. I think one of the reasons why people love you so much is because your presence and attitude is more than just you. You're living for grandpa too. Well, I I feel like I'm and it's not just me, but I, you know, I, I feel like I'm I try to I feel like I'm living for a, a number of people these days. And I try to keep a number of people with me, I should say, these days. And um, you know, when I when I when I hug Aurora, I'm hugging her on behalf of a few generations of people she'll 
she'll never know and uh yeah well my, my grandfather's a big part of it definitely a big part of it i was actually just talking to my my friend today about this because his grandfather died he was in his 90s his grandfather died last year and he's just starting to feel it right now and he asked me you know do you um uh knowing how close you were with your grandfather have you ever had the grief just you know come a year after or something like that and i said well you know it comes in waves it always does i mean i just again in the early parts of may i went and i dug up my confirmation letters when we received confirmation when we were confirmed in eighth grade our family all wrote us letters when we went on to our our religious retreats and we got to this this really nice time in, in this chapel and everybody got to open up their packages and inside the packages was letters from everybody in our lives wishing us well and blessing us and all that stuff and I always go back to that there's more and more people in that stack of letters that then I, I, I felt the warmth but now they're just they're incredible letter from my grandfather's incredible I've read that on the air before um, and he wrote on behalf of my grandmother because she had already died. Then there's a letter from Pam. There's a letter from her daughter, Maria. They're both gone. Skip, his letter to me. He's gone. There's just a lot of people that I, I feel I, I, I carry their memories around. And I think that's the same for all you guys and gals out there. In some respect, everybody's got that. But yeah, thank you for asking friggin person head there'll be other nights show and tell nights like in the past we'll dig it all out and we'll uh, we'll get personal again we always do all right over on rumble i just want to make sure we do these so i don't um, then we're gonna get back to your calls so don't worry cody 117 says the company i work for was bought out by a huge corporation and my job has become everything that you're describing i can't even do my job anymore it's soul crushing feeling because i love working mm. alice alice frazzledrip says it's it's what the com communists do they brainwash youth through education in Hollywood and cartoons and woke school boards to uh, indoctrinate against the parents. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, well, that's part of it. But we're talking about implementation of things uh, on the back end, on at the parents, the parents' school. I mean, we can see what this is doing to schools. Uh, that is on full display, especially this week. Wasn't going to poison the air with some of those videos that are coming out. I commented on a few of them on Twitter before, but that, um, yeah, that's just a little bit more there. Over on quitefrankly.tv, I want to go through a few of these. Thank you, Cautious Observer. It's great to see you again. EO2Dave, good to see you again, too. Says, yes, it's the mob 2.0. They took over the government. Sean Joe, Porpoiseful, Pauly, EO2Dave again, and Michael BKNY at the bottom says mf and sent a phone thank you thank you for that let's take a call from albert what's going on albert hey i think i'm pretty sure i heard you say in the beginning of the show or in the first hour sometime that uh what's your mayor's name eric adams 
Yeah. Yeah. So he's going to be uh, spreading the, the the money around uh, New York to get all the New Yorkers to start to sell out their own state. You know, that's such a great plan, dude, because it's got a proven track record. I'm pretty sure I the the first baby name in uh, London now is Muhammad. So when you get the people to work with you, fantastic, fantastic. And Nikki Haley, she was talking to the stakeholders, dude. They yeah. don't, they don't. She wasn't doing that. They just bring these people out, and uh, they all repeat the same thing for a long enough time and then they're just going to take us to war i mean i can't believe that you 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 do see that that's exactly what you were saying yeah but yeah that's a, that's that's exactly what they're doing and they're not going to stop and it's just like it's so hilarious it's just remember i told you a while ago i'm like dude we're not even close to the top they're not going to stop and and eric adams and all that dude i'm pretty sure whitmer's going to be not far behind you know what i'm saying yeah it just is what it is. All we can do is, you know, hang out, watch a ride, do your best, and fuck the rest, right? Absolutely, I mean. <laughs> absolutely. I always have our have our time in the sun over here, and it is the sunny season, so why not? Right, dude. This is an awesome show, too. Awesome. I love it when you do the show yourself and you and you go on. That's the whole reason that I started listening to you. I love the guests and everything, but uh, you just been on fire tonight. Always love the show, man. Enjoy Thank your you, evening, sir. Thank you, Albert. Thank you. I've, I've, I, I really appreciate you hanging with me all that time, and I'm glad that I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. Some days I need to hear that more than others. I'll tell you. Um, so that's what we have. That's what we have for you over here. Nine one four five nine five six nine five three. It's eight forty. I guess I'll just take some more calls because we have just a little little time to go, and then I want to do our badass of the night. I'm not even going to bring up this uh, the UFOs. Maybe I'll do that on, uh, maybe I'll do that on Wednesday, Wednesday or Thursday. I forget what the hell's going on this week. We are not alone. The U.S. has retrieved craft of non-human origin, says whistleblower from the government, the government task force on UFOs. So we're going to be getting into that and I'll be splitting up a lot of my inquiries among guests that'll come on in the future in the near future all right let's take a call from john what's going on john <laughs> hey it's annie john is my husband oh but anyway. hey what's up annie <laughs> well i just um talking about um the mayor in new york city um he wants to take up residences uh, private residences for illegals did you speak about that already i don't know yeah 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 yeah, we open we open with that one that that he he wants to see if they can spread some money around for for people to uh, let let migrant families come into their homes for what I'm sure is going to be an indefinite engagement. Okay, I I didn't I I wasn't watching at that time. I wasn't listening at that time. What do you think about it again? I I think that it's it's going to be rife with corruption and money wasted i think yeah, yeah, yeah. i think most of that money will probably go to uh bigger companies that have swallowed up uh, homes that have been sold in the last couple of yeah. uh last couple of years alone for those who actually are willing dupes to open up their basements and their attics to new families it's going to be impossible to get them out 
Um, I just don't. Th- I just don't think that people are actually going to go for this. No, 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 no. no very, very, <laughs> very few uh, will. Which is why I'm wondering what they're going to spend the money on to say that the program was a success because they can never fail. Obviously. Oh, like the 800 million that the other that De Blasio took. It's going to be something like that. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, well, and, yeah. just wanted to call in on that. Thank Eight, you. The eight hundred million, uh, the eight hundred uh-huh. million that he said that they are going to spend on on giving uh, full medical benefits to non mm-hmm. non citizens <laughs> inside of New York, and, and and we haven't heard about it since. He said we're we're we, we're going to get two eight hundred million to set aside for non citizens for full medical benefits, even though there's plenty yep. of citizens who don't have insurance. And yep. he had the nerve of saying that it's not going to come out of taxes. People are not going to pay yeah. for it. Like, okay. No, it, nothing. No, we don't pay for anything. No taxes come. No, no, no. We don't pay for anything. It comes out of thin air. No, you, thin know, air. you, know, you know what it is, Anne, Annie? They, uh, they, have, they have all of their, their government, uh, the, the government chocolate bars. They go, and yeah. they, they go selling the government chocolate <laughs> bars, and they, that, that's how they make their money. That's how government makes money. They sell chocolate bars. <laughs> With all the kids going around in the supermarkets, hey, do you want to, would you like to support our our school? And it's like, yeah, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'll buy from them before I do anything else. But all right. Well, thanks for the call. Thank you. See, Bye. You got it. Yeah. I remember those. I used to like the chocolate bars that we would sell in school. Uh, it had the McDonald's. You remember those? It had the McDonald's arches on them. What was that? Do they still sell those? Do, do, do kids get still get sent home with the suitcase, the cardboard suitcase full of chocolate? We used to have to sell those. I used to love eating them. I love the almond, and I love the crisp one. I didn't like the. I don't like um, caramel filled chocolate bars, and I there's only very few milk chocolate, solid milk chocolate that I like. I like dark chocolate, but I like almonds. Nuttier the better. None of you the better. Let's take a call. 607, you're on the air. Who dis? Hey, Crank, it's Mark Spark. Hey, what's going on there? Not much. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. So what's going through your mind tonight? Well, I had to, uh, I had to put my, my dog down today. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah, it's a... Uh, I mean, we gave her up, my wife and I, because we had to, the landlord, and then... Uh, the lady that had her had passed, and her friend called, said uh, a few months ago, said, you want her back? She said, sure. Um, she was blind, couldn't hear, diabetes, and uh, but, you know, had her for a few months, and I was grateful for that, mm. you know? So even... Uh, even but I heard you talk... I, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I was, I was going to say, even in her diminished state, she was still a good dog. Oh, yeah, definitely. Little yeah. shit poop. Oh, well, I'm sorry yeah, about your loss. A poodle. Thank you, thank you. I, I heard you talking earlier about the uh, um, New York City and the housing uh, problem and all. And uh, a couple of years ago, I got a settlement, uh, small, you know. And before my wife was going to pass, I wanted to, you know, get her a place, and we'd have our own place. And Sullivan County, we moved up from uh, Queens up to Sullivan County, and. Uh, I was looking for places, and every time I put a bid in, somebody would outbid me mm-hmm. because it was close to New York City, you know, Sullivan County. 
So uh, I got a place out uh, further out in Broome County. Uh, nice place. And a uh, month and a half later, she had passed. I mean, I, I had talked the last time on the show about this. Um, and uh, uh, that that Saturday, you talked about uh, that uh, town in uh, where was it? Maine. Maine or Vermont? Maine. Yeah. Yeah, and it remind me, I sent you the email with uh, they're going to have July 1st and 2nd here in uh, deposit at the Historical Society. Uh guy's going to show the Cannonsville Reservoir and all the displacement of people losing their houses. You know, some people got bought out. Some people, they didn't want to leave. And, uh, you know, they just let the water come in and, and uh, you know, they lost everything because they wouldn't play the game. That's uh that, that well that's that's what we see you know on local level there's always been things like that and I thank you for the call cause, and I know I know what you're getting at there especially the outbidding um there's always things there's always stories to, to be said you know on a local level there's a, a building of a dam there is you know a reservoir that's being that's being relocated or drained or something else and there's always going to be collateral about that you know that's when we start talking about things like eminent domain and um, in fact, tonight, our badass, <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that in just a second, but you know, I, it's like microcosm, macrocosm. Sometimes it's just really, really crummy things that happen in the name of, uh, building something new where there was once something old and, and, and then there is. And then there is what we see, the gutting of big cities and these these schemes to to, to snatch up really high-value properties for pennies on the dollar by displacing people, by causing civil strife, economic downturn, whatever the hell it is, a pandemic, um, you know, all the ways that you can sabotage property value and things to be able to come on in there and then start redeveloping or whatever. It's it's the kind of game that we can't play on the level that we're at. We we what we care about, as I always say, is a couple of well timed summer barbecues. If you have any patches of grass to take care of, it's nice to have a nice green lawn. And um, the little things, the little things. But you're talking about people who are actually playing Monopoly with the world, and. And it's not about just collecting all of the biggest properties, too. It's about screwing with the minds and the hearts of the people who live there. The ESG things and everything else we're talking about tonight is really just disturbing. It's disturbing. The 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 property, the property uh, screwing with all that stuff. And you know what? That's what I want to do right now. It's ten to nine. Now I want to introduce you to our badass of the evening. Are you ready for this? I am. Let's do it. some badass shit it's pretty badass oh and what is his name where are we going do you know what yesterday was ladies and gentlemen it was june 4th and june 4th for anybody who knows a damn about anything is killdozer day so i'm going to introduce you to a i'm going to introduce you to a reasonable man who was driven to do unreasonable things this is from a wonderful blog post written by XGEM. 
says, sit down, kids, and let me tell you a tale about a reasonable man driven to do unreasonable things. Marvin Hemeyer was a man who owned a muffler shop in Granby, Colorado. The city council ordained to approve the construction of a concrete factory in the lot across from Marvin's shop. In the process, this blocked the only access road to the muffler shop. Marvin petitioned to stop the construction to no avail, petitioned to construct a new access road, and even bought the heavy machinery to do it himself, but he was denied even that right. The concrete factory went up in disregard to the ramifications on Marvin's business. To add insult to injury, the factory construction disconnected the muffler shop from city sewage lines. They took away Marvin's sewage lines. An indifferent city government then chose to fine Marvin Hemeyer for the fact that his shop was now uh, outside of the sewage zone. Well, with his business and his livelihood in ruin, rather than lie down and die, Marvin chose to fight back. Over the course of a year and a half, Marvin secretly outfitted the bulldozer that he had bought to save his business with three-foot-thick steel and concrete armor. He bought a camera system. Camera systems guarded the bulletproof glass there. And then uh, camera systems were guarded with bulletproof glass so that he could be able to see on the inside, outside, what was going on. On June 4th, 2004, Marvin Hemeyer lowered the armor shell over the top of himself, entombing himself inside of the killdozer to make his last stand. He burst, for, uh, he burst forth from the walls of his muffler shop and straight into the concrete factory that the ruined his business. Over the course of the next several hours, Marvin drove his killdozer through 13 another. buildings it's owned by those officials that had wronged him, including the city council project. building itself. SWAT teams swarmed the dozer, but it proved immune to small arms fire and even explosives. Another piece of heavy machinery was even brought out to fight the killdozer, but it too fell to the dozer's righteous fury. In the end, Marvin's killdozer became trapped in one of the buildings that it was built to destroy. Marvin chose to take his life, the only life that he took that day. Today we celebrate, yesterday we do, celebrate Killdozer Day and Marvin Hemeyer, one of the last great American folk heroes, a man driven to the brink who chose to fight back against an indifferent system. And here is a quote from the notes that he left behind after his passing. He said, quote, I was always willing to, to be reasonable until I had to be unreasonable. Sometimes reasonable men must do unreasonable things, end quote. When injustice becomes he law, resistance welder, becomes duty. And that is the story of Marvin Hemeyer, uh, yeah, the man behind the killdozer. Always remember that on June 4th. Never forget. Never forget. So rest in peace. Sweet, sweet prince. Rest in peace. Man, if we had 300,000 more of him and 300,000 more killdozers, January 6th would have looked a lot different. <laughs> just, just kidding. Just kidding. It's a j big joke. It's a big joke, okay? Anyway, don't put the killdozer into the hands of the Capitol Police, though. Because then we're all screwed. Then we're all screwed. Then somebody will die. 
All right, here's a couple more super chats. I have a requ- two requests. I have a request. My husband was turning 69 on June 1st. I didn't see this in time. Doesn't matter when. Just give him a shout out for me. His name is Jerry. Jerry and Emma Kronberg. Well, I love Jerry and Emma Kronberg, but I hope that Jerry had a wonderful 69th birthday on June 1st. There's only one way to celebrate a 69th birthday. And here's another one from Kate from Rochester, who turned 60 last Wednesday. I'm very happy for Kate, too. I hope it was a wonderful, wonderful birthday there for Kate from Rochester. Good for you. Here's one last thing for you. Uh, Zany Dude says, hey, Frank, the recent mentions of Tom Jones reminded me I met him once. I deliver flowers during the busy holidays, and one Valentine's Day... One time, one Valentine's Day a few years ago, I was making a delivery and he came out to accept them for his wife. Or, uh, or the luck be a lady tonight. Anyway, he was in his usual style of dress. Open button shirt, gold chain, slacks, looking groovy. Gave me a tip. Said, wow, these are great. She's going to love them. So, of course, for the remainder of the day, what's new Pussycat and other hits were in my head. You've had some stellar shows lately, but it's not unusual. Peace. That's one of that's from Zany Dude. Thank you so much for that. That's fantastic. A fantastic thing to read. All right. Well, I have nothing else for you tonight. I have nothing else. Tomorrow is another day. It'll be a short one. We have uh, BCP coming on for the short show before band practice and i hope that you're here to hang out because it's been a while since we hung out with bcp it's the first time we're hanging out since his his um channel has been destroyed on youtube and we'll see what's uh what's what's cooking with him then we got wednesday then we got thursday then we got friday then we have all the rest of the weeks of the year isn't that fun god willing i'll see you guys tomorrow take care of yourselves and um let me make sure i didn't miss anything else i didn't I didn't, and oh, oh, uh, Paulie just says, hey, Frank, did you see the Great Awakening movie? Yes, I did. I mentioned it when we opened up today, and it was our feature last night on the Sunday Night Cap. Sunday Night, quite frankly, TV, Frank's Picks. It was on at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. We had a wonderful time watching it together. Keep telling you guys and gals, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on QuiteFrankly.tv, Sunday nights. I curate those playlists myself, and I'm usually there watching them with you all. It's just a nice mix of things, and sometimes we slip in a movie. So uh, join us, and we'll be talking about The Great Awakening in the coming shows ahead, especially since we will have the chief writer, director, and producer, um, Mickey Willis, joining us with that as well. Anything else you want to add to tonight's show, email me, quite frankly, podcast at gmail or protonmail.com, and we'll pick up where we left off tomorrow. Good night, and get over to quitefrankly.tv for the after-hours programming. It's a mystery something tonight. Goodbye. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience. And now our super chatters are starting with our wonderful friends over there on Rumble. Alice Frazzledrip, 
and Cody117. Thank you to Yemez, to Stostube, to Ken McNeil Music, to KT Sky D, and to Friggin' Personhead. On Rockfin, NJSF. Thank you for both of your tips, my friend. We will see you all soon. Thank you, thank you, thank you.